name is Natalie Nation, and you're listening to Feed That Nation. I'm a graduate student, I'm a future registered dietitian, I'm a health educator, a content creator, and a self-proclaimed mac and cheese expert. I create content here on Feed That Nation all about college life, college health, and college wellness with the goal of helping you, my fellow college students, to be more successful, more confident, and more healthy in your student journey. Before we begin today's episode, please go ahead and subscribe to my YouTube channel if that's where you're listening and watching. Definitely go check me out on Instagram. I am at Feed That Nation, and go check out my blog, feedthatnation.com. Also go ahead and check out my affiliate partner, Coconut Whisk. Coconut Whisk is a vegan, gluten-free, and allergy-friendly baking mix company based right here in Minnesota. They have incredible products. I absolutely love their mission. And if you guys want to check them out, and I'm sure you do at this point because I talk them up every week, you can use my coupon code FeedThatNation and get 15% off of your order. When you do that, not only do you get a discount, but I receive a small commission. So truly, everybody wins in this scenario. Go check out Coconut Whisk. So in today's episode, I have with me Natasha Sony, and Natasha is a recent grad from the University of Minnesota, and she and I are going to be talking all about student government today. And so take it away. Tell me, who are you? um, What do you do? Where are you from? And just introduce yourself. Yeah, thank you so much for having me, Natalie. My name is Natasha Sony. My pronouns are she, her, hers, and I graduated from the University of Minnesota Twin Cities in May 2020, so right kind of in the beginning of the pandemic in which we currently find ourselves. I then got a job as the diversity and inclusion specialist for the Intercultural Mutual Assistance Association, which is um, located in Rochester, Minnesota, but my position is remote, so I kind of split my time between being in the cities and Rochester and the organization primarily helps the immigrant and refugee community. And I personally work with different clients, whether they be corporate, nonprofit or other governmental agencies uh, to educate them on diversity, equity and inclusion topics and kind of help their organization improve and be more accessible to marginalized communities. I also am going to be going to grad school for a master's in public health this fall with the concentration in global health policy and human rights, social justice, uh, still to be determined where I will be. Um, still waiting to hear back from some schools, but I have gotten accept- accepted to some as well. So I'm excited to uh, be in a new place come fall. Before we get into this episode, I do want to acknowledge that I am white, able-bodied, cis-presenting, straight-presenting, and I am coming from that perspective with this conversation. And I also recognize the incredible privilege that it is to not only go to college and have a college education, but the privilege that comes with being able to be an active participant in your college experience and to be able to take leadership roles and to have the time and the bandwidth to do those things. And so I just wanted to leave that disclaimer there. And Natasha, I don't know if you have anything you want to add to that. Yeah, thank you so much for mentioning that. Um, I would like to add that even though I am a woman of color, uh, both of my parents have doctorates and I grew up very comfortably. Um, Both of them have great careers and we never had to worry about having food on the table, having a roof over our heads. And I didn't even have to worry about paying for my undergrad education. that was easily paid for and my brothers will be too. So I just wanna acknowledge that. And like Natalie said, 
being involved in all of the extracurricular activities that I had did definitely come with its privileges because even though I was getting paid through a lot of positions, I, it wasn't much. It wasn't as much as I would have been making otherwise. And I could afford to do that because I didn't have to pay for tuition or rent. Natasha, tell me about why specifically you are qualified to talk about student government. Yeah, so I have been involved in student government. Uh, Even in high school, I was involved all through that. And then in college, I really stepped it up a little bit in that sense, just because I knew that advocacy and activism and organizing were things that I wanted to do with my future and with my future career. So naturally, the first place I turned was student government. Um, I remember thinking back when I hadn't even decided where I was going to go to for undergrad. I actually told myself, no matter what, wherever I go, I want to join student government. So I did, and it was great. There are obviously a lot of ups and downs within it, but I ended up holding some really great positions. I rounded off my senior year at the U of M as the student body president for the College of Liberal Arts. That was amazing. I was on the CLA student board all throughout my undergrad career. Uh, Ever since I stepped foot on campus, I saw the email to apply come up in my inbox, I think even on the first day of classes and I applied and got on the board and it was a huge honor. And I also was in the Minnesota Student Association, which at the U of M, they're kind of different bodies that operate and they all kind of collaborate together. I think there could be more collaboration and we can talk about that later. Um, But the Minnesota Student Association is for the entire student body. And then each college at the University of Minnesota has their own student government. So I was in the College of Liberal Arts student board, but I was also in the Minnesota Student Association. And within that, I uh, held an executive position um, ranking at-large representatives. So essentially, I oversaw all of the at-large representatives, which are elected by the student body during election season. um, And they kind of represent the student body at large. It kind of is a huge collaboration of everyone. But Yeah, that's essentially, I feel like I learned a lot during my time and am pretty well versed in what happens in student government in that sense. Let's talk about student government more generally. Obviously, your experience is coming through the University of Minnesota, but I was hoping you could speak a little bit more generally about what student government tends to look like at most universities. Yes, so it's actually quite interesting because I had the opportunity during college to attend a national conference where we kind of discussed the structures and bodies of different student governments and saw what we could adjust and what ideas we could gather from that and how we wanted our student government to be structured. So there's a lot of variation. Even the University of Wisconsin-Madison has an entirely different setup than we do. Um, Their elections are run differently as well, the way that they pass initiatives. But generally what happens is you work a lot with administration. So your university's president, deans, everyone kind of in that office. You could also include like the chief financial officer, any vice provost, 
things like that. But then above that, which I feel like a lot of students and people in general just don't recognize is that there is usually a board of trustees or a board of regents in the University of Minnesota's case who sit even above the office of the president and administration at the university. So essentially everything that student government would be working on, any initiative or legislation that would need to be passed has to go through and get passed by the board of regents or board of trustees, whatever an organization has. And this can actually be really troubling. And I can talk about this later too. I'm sure we'll get into it uh, because in a lot of these places, the board of regents or board of trustees is comprised of majority one demographic, um, which is old white men most of the time. And so the perspectives can definitely differ based on what students, especially those who are involved in student government and organizing want. Uh, one other thing that I will mention is the University of Minnesota Twin Cities is actually a part of the Association of Big Ten Students. So all the other Big Ten universities in the United States uh, kind of collaborate with the U of M and there's a conference or two conferences every year. Um, and there's also a chance to go down to Washington, D.C. and meet with, with Congress people there. So there's a lot of different avenues and it reaches a lot of different heights. Usually student governments, again, will have bodies that represent the student body in some capacity, whether that be colleges, student groups, um, or the university at large, like I was saying. But then there are also parts of it where there's also a branch that interacts with the state government, uh, government and legislative affairs in that sense. Um, and those folks might tackle things that are more like tuition, textbook prices, things like that, things that are mandated more so by the state or require funding from the state. That's so cool. I mean, I knew that the Big Ten was like a football conference thing, but I didn't know that it extended past that into places like student government. So that's really interesting. Because of the Big Ten, a lot of times as a university kind of uses the other Big Ten schools as a benchmark of where to compare themselves and their progress. And that extends also to student government as well. So if we are trying to pass a certain piece of legislation, the first place that someone will look is what are other Big Ten schools doing? And then also looking at other schools of our caliber, of our size around the country. Okay, so what can you tell me about, I guess, the nuts and bolts of what student government actually controls, accomplishes the types of projects and initiatives that student government oversees the most? Again, it kind of varies depending on you know, what part of student government is. So for example, as president on the College of Liberal Arts Student Board, um, we focused specifically on obviously CLA students and um, what the college needed in that sense. So I actually felt like I had more of a reach in that sense and almost more power in a way to enact change there because there was less of a bureaucracy. Um, so for example, I and my vice president, Jamie, we met with the dean of the College of Liberal Arts, Dean Coleman, at least monthly and talked to him on a range of issues, whether they were university issues as a whole, um, those could be tuition, cost of tuition, which actually is dependent on which college you're in. So um, it definitely is a college issue, 
as well as food insecurity, how to make college applications more accessible to those who live directly around the U of M, which in a, a lot of ways, those communities are more marginalized, are communities of color, and they don't have the ability to apply to an institution, institution like the U, even though they live right there. So there are things like that. And then we also work on sustainability efforts. Uh, a huge thing that we did within CLA was launch a mental health campaign called, called Pledge to Prioritize, uh, which kind of focused on not only sharing the resources around mental health that we have at the U, but the fact that it needs to be prioritized by professors, by students, by administration, um, all these different things. And it was a great collaborative effort and we kind of revive it every year and make sure that people are aware that this is an, is an initiative and their professors should be accommodating of their mental health needs. In terms of MSA, a lot of times the initiatives that go through MSA will need co-sponsoring or support from different bodies. So the CLA Student Board, for example, will be asked to sponsor a resolution that is going through MSA Forum, which is the first place that a piece of legislation would go to be voted on and passed by the students who were elected to represent the student body. And then it would go to the president's office and then go to the Board of Regents. So for example, a huge project on which I worked, which is actually very important to me, uh, was the Reclaim, Rename Reclaim initiative. Um, this kind of went viral in the Midwest because at the time, a lot of universities, even generally around the country, were renaming buildings that were named after uh, problematic people in history. So for our started with actually an exhibit that was at the Anderson Library on West Bank at the U of M um, that kind of talked about the different leaders in history, namely President Lotus D. Kaufman, who was extremely racist, segregated housing, um, and was also anti-Semitic. So what we did was we kind of highlighted all of this history, wrote a huge resolution around this, um, saying how our union, which is named after him, houses a lot of cultural groups, a lot of communities of color, yet it's named after someone who literally didn't appreciate their existence, um, separated Black students from white students, surveillanced the Jewish students on campus, in collaboration with a lot of other buildings on campus, uh, which are named after folks who did the same thing. So that was a huge project we had, and it really reckoned with the history of the university, which is why a lot of folks were hesitant, because on one hand, they were like, do we want to erase history? On the other hand, it's also about progress and about making sure that we have an inclusive campus, which is what for what we were arguing, because we want students as they come to the university to be comfortable with being there, be understand that their identity is embraced, their culture is embraced and move from there. It unfortunately did not pass the Board of Regents. It was really disheartening at the time. We actually went and protested there. Um, we also had a silent protest where we walked throughout campus. Um, there was a lot of effort around this and it just didn't happen. Uh, unfortunately, but hopefully um, in the future, 
something will change and something will continue with all of those efforts. But a couple other things that I think are important to highlight, especially in this time, are the efforts that have been made around diversity and inclusion and policing um, on campus, specifically with the University of Minnesota Police Department. They have actually invoked a bit of harm on certain communities on campus, uh, namely the Black community. And they claim to protect and serve students, uh, but a lot of times uh, they're invoking violence toward these same students. I have friends who have been maced by the University of Minnesota Police Department. I know that they obstructed Somali night, which was taking place in Northrop Auditorium. And there are just so many cases like this. More needs to be done than what has been done. But unfortunately, there's a lot of budding heads there as well. For the longest time, UMPD was actually working with the Minneapolis Police Department. And it was requested last summer after George Floyd was murdered to cut ties with the Minneapolis Police Department. But there have been a lot of cases since then, since they promised that they would cut ties where that hasn't happened. So I'm really hoping that this changes, especially with a lot of these situations coming to light um, that are really painful to hear. I think these types of policing, tuition, hikes, which unfortunately seem to happen way too often all the time, um, and even the price of textbooks, the dining hall issues that we've had on our campus um, are kind of prevalent, I feel like, everywhere on college campuses. I see a lot of, like I mentioned earlier, there are other college campuses around the country who are changing the names of their buildings and taking a lot of these initiatives seriously. So it really ranges from anything. I think students can bring up whatever issue they want and someone will be there to assist them. That's amazing. I love hearing that. And wow, you touched on so many awesome points. And I think I would like our listeners to know that as we are recording, this is the first week of the Derek Chauvin trial here in Minneapolis. And so that's been on a lot of people's hearts lately. So I love that you brought that up. I would love to know about funding and money, because I feel like when I was an undergrad, and even as a graduate school student, I'm still kind of fuzzy on, well, where does student government get its money from and what do they use it for and who decides that and how much and I'm just I'm curious about all those details. Yeah that is a great question and in full transparency that at some points has actually even been a lot of there's been a lot of confusion surrounding funding even as representatives in student government. So when I was in college uh, this was actually a debate a lot about what we could and couldn't do as an organization. For the Minnesota Student Association, a lot of the funding comes from student service fees. So every student as a part of their tuition pays a student service fee and a chunk of that goes to funding student groups um, and organizations such as the Minnesota Student Association, which I should also mention is a nonprofit. It's a 501c3, I believe. A lot of the funding comes from the students, but obviously there is a lot of administrative support. I'm sure there's donations in there. I mean, the university itself has uh, a billion dollar endowment. So a lot of the money can come from these places, uh, but just doesn't currently. I know it varies a little bit 
in the College of Liberal Arts. Um, I don't think it necessarily comes from the students, although it could. I Like I mentioned earlier, each college as a part of your tuition has a different cost. So for example, CLA has the cheapest cost in terms of tuition. And I think Carlson, the school, the Carlson School of Management has the most. So in terms of that, I could very well see that sort of money going toward student government and the different initiatives that we had when I was on the CLA student board. Uh, but I know that that funding is a lot more easier to kind of manage and uh, kind of ask for more in that sense, because I feel as though since there are less levels to the bureaucracy within the college, we're allowed to do more and kind of have a more of the sky's the limit approach. So I would say it's kind of a mix of things. I know students, part of their tuition goes toward um, student government, but I also think there's a little bit of university funding in there as well that's not directly coming out of the pockets of students. Okay. And I would imagine that that obviously looks very different at different schools. And obviously, smaller schools would have probably less funding because they have less students. And bigger schools might have a lot more funding because they have more students. And that's so interesting. Let's talk a little bit more about an individual student on campus. What advice can you give students who are wanting to connect more with or get support from or assistance from their student government? I know at my undergraduate institution, St. Kate's, there were opportunities for individual students to reach out to student government to receive things like funding to go to a conference or clubs could appeal to student government to fund an event or a project, stuff like that. So individual students, what advice can you give them for connecting with their student government? Yeah, so I'm actually glad that you mentioned the whole piece about funding for an event or for attending something because student government at the U works the same way. What happens is you have to go through MSA forum and present your case as to why your student group needs a certain amount of funding. And then um, the folks there who again are the at-large representatives, the senators, the student group representatives will vote in favor of giving you that funding out of the student government budget or not. Um, And this happens on different levels too. It kind of depends on the nature of the organization. So obviously the Minnesota Student Association as a nonprofit can do much more with that than the CLA student board can. Um, I know that we couldn't give money directly to, to student groups, but we can create scholarships or mutual aid funds, those types of things for students as well. So on the note of reaching out in general for assistance, um, I do want to touch on a little bit, while student government can be great in a lot of ways, and I feel like my favorite part was definitely all of the connections I made, all the people I met, um, and the little bit of change that I wanted to enact. Um, It can also be inaccessible depending on who is in the student government. So for example, at the U of M, the student government, when the student government was formed, the Minnesota Student Association, it was comprised entirely of straight white men. It has shifted a lot over time. It's definitely more progressive than it was then. Uh, A lot of students of different sexualities, genders, uh, people of color, and it's a lot better now in terms of that community. But even with that being said, 
because of the history of the student government, a lot of pain has been caused in with cultural student groups with um, marginalized communities in terms of what student government can do and how accessible they are. So I first of all would recommend that it's if you have the energy to build those connections with people in student government, um, you definitely should. But I know that not every student has that capacity to do so, and that is perfectly fine as well. Um, I know that there are people who reached out specifically to me, for example, versus the organization as a whole, because they know that they knew that I would listen regarding their issues versus other people to whom they could talk in the organization. So I think as individuals in student government, so it kind of goes both ways in terms of advice. Um, as individuals in student government, the most important thing to focus on in your role, in your position of power, in leadership, in any capacity is to make sure that you're as accessible as possible. So show up to communities, to different communities, show up in places where you normally wouldn't and say that you're here for them, that you're here to support them, um, here to support students of all backgrounds, all experiences. Um, on the other side of that, I do think that a lot of students are willing to give student government a chance um, to kind of better their issues and kind of even focus on them in the first place. So for those students, I say definitely hold your student government accountable. I'm hoping that student government in general will move in a more accessible direction because student government does have ties to so many different parts um, that are higher administration, but also the legislature, like I was mentioning before. And one thing actually to mention on that note too, huge project that was very um, near and dear to my heart in college was kind of combating food insecurity through uh, transportation. What I wanted to do was extend the light rail that runs through the Twin Cities, um, one more stop on each side for U of M students because you get three stops for free if you are a student on the U of M Twin Cities campus. So make that five stops because the U of M is in a food desert. And if you extend it one more side either way, you'd have two grocery stores right there. I use this example because this is one in which we actually had the opportunity to testify in front of the legislature. Um, so you go down to the state capitol in St. Paul testify, share your stories, share why it's important to you. I know I presented more of like the facts and statistics uh, surrounding why this would be a good thing, as well as kind of the important piece of it, which is that, you know, 20 plus percent of students on this campus are food insecure. How are we gonna combat that if you don't, you know, give us a few hundred thousand dollars to expand these services, which they do have. Um, so a lot of times with these situations in which we can testify at the legislature, I know that students, uh, representatives in student government will actually look for students who aren't, you know, in any official role or capacity that way um, and who would be willing to share their story. So there are those opportunities and I know a lot of opportunities like that or even going down to the nation capital in Washington DC and um, testifying there. Anyone can apply to do that and to be a part of that team. Um, it's just a matter of 
how accessible the organization is and how willing or not willing, but how much they value getting that information out to students, which I think could improve all the time. Um, I know that social media is a huge part of how students connect, especially nowadays. But even beyond that, again, it, it's about showing up, reaching out to student groups, reaching out to students yourself, rather than expecting everyone to know what student government is, where the organization is, um, and knowing who to even contact within that. You were totally speaking my language with that food insecurity stuff. That is so cool that you got to like advocate at the state capitol for that. And it sounds like student government in general is probably one of the best experiences that a student could get if they want to learn how to do advocacy work. Again, it, it kind of is a double-edged sword because um, a lot of the work that actually happens in the student government is on the backs of marginalized students, um, is on the backs of those students who come forward with the issues that they have. Um, so there, it's like so many uh, people I look up to who are in student government, but also what I always think is that student government wouldn't exist without its students, right? So you need the student body to operate. And I think a part of where that gets a little tough is that, to be quite frank, is that not all students in student government are there for those types of reasons, are there for the issues, are there to combat those issues. There are a lot of students who kind of use it more for the stepping stone or want you know to get somewhere else in life um, and that's just the sad truth of it but like I said it's very clear who is actually there and who cares um, and I urge everyone to go out and seek those people instead of talking to the people who are just there to talk and not walk the walk in that sense. For students wanting to get more actively involved with student government, taking on a representative role, or heck, being the student body president like you, where would you recommend that they start? No matter how much a student government tries to like blast the news of something, it may not reach everyone. But I know that, at least on the U of M campus, for a lot of student groups, but I know for the CLA Student Board, for example, we're huge on this, and um, the Minnesota Student Association is as well. Um, is we have the ability to send student body-wide emails. And so this is kind of a way in which we can advertise students like right in their inbox, because um, you know that they're gonna be checking that for classes and other things to apply or to run in elections, uh, things like that. I know the other piece too is I recommend to anyone who is interested in getting involved on their campus, in whatever capacity that it may be. Um, look up the social media accounts for the different groups in which you wanna be involved um, because a lot of them are really active and do post resources, whether it be MSA posting about COVID guidelines and being transparent with what the university is doing or the CLA student board posting about the next uh, mental health event that they have. You know, even other student groups on campus like Coalition for Progressive Change or um, Climate, the climate justice student group or students for a democratic society, they're all posting about the organizing and the activism that they're doing. And a lot of times those groups will actually cross pollinate and reshare each other's posts 
um, which again goes back to that collaborative effort. So a lot of it is just utilizing your network, but to form those networks in the first place, I hear him telling you now, empowering anyone who's listening to this to just go out there and go show up to your first meeting, um, introduce yourself and someone there will take you under their wing. I know for me, my freshman year of college with the CLA student board, it was a little different because I applied, I was let in and it was an honor and I was so excited and everyone there was so welcoming. But with something larger like your university student government, like MSA, what I did was I looked up the meeting times when the first uh, forum was gonna be and I just showed up to that introduced myself to the people sitting next to me um, and then showed up to the first committee. And I was always in the diversity and inclusion committee uh, because those topics are really important to me and um, got to know people through there. And even if you do feel nervous, just know that someone else is probably thinking the same thing you are regarding the issue that you want to raise. Um, and so what I did was my freshman year, sitting in a diversity and inclusion meeting, the co-directors at the time were asking folks what issues they wanted to tackle. Um, and I just raised my hand and was like, I want to tackle food insecurity. I think it would be great to look at that on a college campus and see how adverse experiences throughout life lead you to be food insecure on campus. Um, and from there, so much was born. So. Again, people are willing to listen. It's just a matter of finding those people. And the best way you can do that is to show up to as many things as possible that's within your capacity. And the more that people see you as present, uh, the more that they'll want you to lead them. With me for the CLA student board, I loved reading president. It was amazing. And I feel like the reason why I won that election and why I got there was because I showed up for people. I made sure that I was accessible as possible. I got coffee with every single member, especially the ones who had just joined, who were newer to college in general. And I didn't necessarily talk to them about the board. I also talked to them about their lives, got to know them as people. And I think even just going to as many events as possible, going to whatever interests you is a great way to build those relationships and to build those connections. Um, you can always bring a roommate or a friend along with you. Even if you just go by yourself, I promise there will be someone there who will see you and will come up to you and say hi and want you to be in their circle. Thank you. I love that you talked about building, I love the expression building your social currency, like truly investing time to actually get to know people and let them get to know you. I think that's incredibly powerful for students who are seeking out leadership opportunities. Thank you. Yeah, definitely. Is there anything else about student government that you really wanna share that we haven't touched on yet? I think one thing, and this honestly might be the most important thing, is that self-care is what is going to save you as you're going into student government and even beyond that. A lot of times student government can be jumpstart for you into advocacy, into activism on a larger scale. And a lot of times people don't take care of their health for the sake of pleasing someone else. I mean, I there were so many times when I received emails at 2 a.m. or had meetings at 9 p.m. And that is just unreasonable 
especially since you're a student first and you're there to be a student and to excel and to take care of yourself in that regard. So boundaries are really important. Um, I highly recommend that anyone listening set them, even if you're not in student government, even in other facets of your life. I think it's really important. I know that I struggle with this myself and I think a lot of people who want to make the world a better place and want to be leaders do struggle with this is, you know, always committing yourself, always saying yes, um, always being there when someone else is struggling. And as much as I love to be there for other people, um, as much as I love to focus on others and what they're feeling and what their experiences are, it's not sustainable to do that all the time. Um, it's definitely not sustainable if you're not getting enough sleep, um, if you're not eating well enough, anything like that. And I will say too, you see, you're going to see so many people in college who seem like they're doing everything at once. They're excelling in school. They're doing a bunch of extracurricular activities, um, but then they're also socializing. They're out every night with their friends, all of that. And I mean, you could even argue that I am that person to some people. What I try to remind others is that everyone may seem like they're doing something, but they're all sacrificing something as well. So even if you see someone doing a million things, they're probably not getting enough sleep at night. Um, they're probably not that close to their roommates. They're probably not eating enough every day. They're probably not doing X, Y, Z, right? So I think, and that's kind of also why I started my blog as well, because I wanted to kind of dismantle that idea that everyone, that you look around you and everyone else seems perfect um, and seems like they're doing a million things and accomplishing all these things and show like the other side of that show, be transparent and show that, you know, I'm not perfect. Uh, neither is the person next to me um, and neither is anyone around you. Uh, so, and we all struggle too. And we all have had failures. We all have had those downfalls. And I think that in student government, it can be really hard to remember this because there's so much pressure and there are a lot of people there who aren't there for the right reasons. This also can trickle into other aspects of your life. And I feel like I, as much as anyone else have definitely let that happen in the past. Um, and even right now as someone who's graduated as someone who's working um, and going to grad school in the fall and wanting to do mutual aid and organizing and help marginalized communities for the rest of my life um, in whatever capacity that might be. Um, I know it's gonna be important that I am also making the most of this life for myself and taking care of myself in the process. Absolutely, what an excellent reminder. And I have a couple of podcast episodes I'll link below talking about self-care for college students, talking about setting boundaries as a college student, all of that. So anyone listening who needs a place to start, go look in the show notes. Thank you so much for this excellent conversation about student government. I feel so much more informed than I did before. I feel like I had a, definitely some more negative prejudices about student government just based on experiences I had in undergrad with people who were rude, probably people, like you were saying, who weren't necessarily there for the right reasons. But 
that's kind of why I wanted to explore this episode, because I know I can't just keep living my life with those prejudices and with that sort of negative stereotype in my head. So I'm really glad I learned a lot. Before I let you go, I every week I share a food, a follow, and a fun with my audience. I share a food that I've been loving this week, a follow, someone I've been following on social media who's been really uplifting, and something fun that I've been doing. So I'm actually going to turn it over to you to share your food, follow, fun with my audience this evening. Yeah, definitely. So food-wise, um, there's something that my partner and I, mostly my partner, because I am not a huge cook in the kitchen, um, make, which is kind of like a macaroni and cheese, like a baked macaroni and cheese dish, and it has veggies in it, um, and a lot of cheese, like different cheeses, um, and it's all layered, and it tastes amazing when it comes out. Um, it definitely takes a long time to prep and cook and make, but we just had that the, this past weekend and still have leftovers. So that is always something to which I look forward. Um, and then in terms of a follow, I think what I would recommend is kind of generally, I would say, um, especially now more than ever, but hopefully folks are already thinking about this and doing this, follow more accounts, whether it be on Twitter, whether it be on Instagram, uh, accounts run by people of color. Um, follow more accounts that are run by folks in the Black community. And one that I would like to mention is um, Dom Roberts. I think her username is D O M X um, R O B R T S. I can send you that information, Natalie, if you want to link it below. Uh, but she kind of, she, I found her through a YouTuber um, whom I watch who uh, is an influencer who lives in Texas. And Dom is her best friend. And Dom is a Black woman. Uh, she actually has a podcast called The Uncomfortable Podcast. And you can listen to it on different streaming platforms and she talks about uncomfortable issues um, but her Instagram account is amazing she shares so many insights and so many empowering things and she's also absolutely hilarious so um, I just my day is brightened like every time I look at one of her posts um, so I think that she would be an amazing person to follow and then in terms of something fun I am doing this week, I feel like trying to get outside as much as possible now that we have this nicer weather. Uh, this past weekend, I hammocked with a few friends and my partner. Um, and I just been, what I've been doing is actually as I step outside, like really inhaling that air um, because I feel like I didn't really focus on it as much before and focus on my breathing in that sense uh, before we found ourselves in this pandemic. I love that. I can't wait to check out and eat and do all the things you just said. Again, thank you so much for joining me today. And any of my listeners who are wanting to read more, see more of Natasha, I will leave her information down in the show notes as well. 
Definitely don't forget to leave a comment on this YouTube video if that's where you are watching and listening or leave me a review and a five-star rating if you're listening on a podcast platform. I would love to see you and hear from you. And don't forget to go follow me on Instagram. I am at FeedThatNation and go check out my blog, FeedThatNation.com. I upload podcast episodes every Wednesday and I upload YouTube videos every Saturday. Until next time, my name is Natalie. This is Natasha. You're listening to Feed That Nation and we'll see you soon.